I, I knew that these people that were all at the border, I knew that they they could not have all taken a boat or swam to Mexico in order to get into America from Haiti. It just didn't make sense. I mean, as an American, I'm not I'm not allowed, nor am I supposed to or required to know geography. It's one of the deals of being an American. We're not we don't have to know anything about the rest of the planet. But like I have, I admit, I have seen a map. Haiti's kind of far away, and there's a lot of water between Haiti and Mexico. It just doesn't seem like like the logical way to go to America. So I always had some questions, and now we have our answer. Thank you, Daily Mail and Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies. They've been hanging out down in Chile and Brazil, and they were like, hey, Joe Biden just got elected. Let's head north. That's what they've been saying. That's what they've been telling people who will actually ask and then report on it. Um, they were they got to Mexico and then they got stopped because the Biden administration told Mexico, hey, do us a favor. Don't let the people from Haiti that are all coming in, like, don't let them in. And so Mexico was just like, OK, fine, but slight problem. The Haitians are not cool with this. <laughs> they were not cool with this arrangement. They're getting like set up in these refugee camps and they're like, well, wait a minute. I had a pretty good job back in Chile and Brazil. I was I was doing OK back there. And that, like I came here to go to America, like one of the guys interviewed said, you know, uh, Chile was a thousand times better than Haiti. But America's a million times better than Haiti. And so that's why they're trying to get to America which I understand, by the way, I totally understand this. Like if if I was living in an impoverished country as well, like I think it's a logical decision to try to make it to America, especially if they're not going to protect their borders. Right. For real. So um, and by the way, like this, this idea, like the guy that sent out the original horse picture tweet um, saying that, oh, no, this is about, you know, Haitians not being able to claim asylum. Why are they why are they claiming asylum? Asylum is for people who are going to get put to death for political reasons or something. Hades, I mean, it's very poor. But am I to believe that these people require asylum? They've been in Chile. They've been in Brazil. There's like hundreds of thousands of folks who have gone to Central American countries. And so what? Like, we already, I mean, we're going to take all of them in on asylum cases? Why? Are, is the Haitian government trying to kill them? Trying to murder them all or something? So on Sunday, September 12th, though, while everybody was fixated on the complete Charlie Foxtrot of the operation in Afghanistan, Mexico suddenly decided, hey, you know what, Haitians, you're free to go. That's what that's what prompted all of this. Mexican authorities said, we're not going to keep you guys contained in these little areas anymore, so you're free to go. So what did the Haitians do? They made their way to the U.S., right? Del Rio was the destination of choice. Why? Why Del Rio? Why Why this spot under that bridge, right? See, that's what I mean. I, I like to ask the question of why. How did this happen? Why did it happen, right? So the reason why they ended up in Del Rio, get this, the cartel, Los Zetos, the cartel was not charging them to cross at that point. And when you think about it, if the cartels are running their smuggling operation, their uh, people smuggling operations, which are completely inhumane and barbaric, and uh, this is one of the things that open border people are never asked to account for 
this kind of uh, this this entire criminal black market of human smuggling and the like, uh, which is part and parcel with the policies that you guys are advancing. But and and by the way, when I say open border people, I don't even mean like like libertarians, capital L libertarian open border people, because they're just like they don't think there should be any kind of like really border control to speak of. I'm talking about people who are like, oh, you know, we don't we want to let illegal immigration continue, but we want to pretend like we don't. And so they're actually they're they're like uh, they're like secret open border people. Those folks like the, the 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 human cost of these policies is never accounted for, is never uh, the folks who espouse these these policy positions. They're never called to task for for the damage that they do. Anyway, I digress. The um, the Los Zetos cartel, they charge around about 10 grand to smuggle you into America on all these different points along the border. Except for apparently in Del Rio. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, there they were allowed to cross for free. Is the uh, the local branch of the Los Zetos cartel allows them to cross for free at that point. In most in most Mexican frontier towns, uh, it's like ten grand ahead, and uh, Del Rio is different. And by last weekend, just a week after they were freed from Tapachula, which was where they were being held in the border camp. Thousands had now camped out under the Del Rio International Bridge, overwhelming the city of just 35,000 people. So they started dumping all of their ID cards, their Chilean and Brazilian ID cards. Because if they can get to the border and they don't have an ID, I'm from Haiti. I'm not from Chile. You can't send me back to Chile. Slight problem. Slight problem. When the Biden administration starts now flying them back to Haiti, now all of a sudden <laughs> the Haitians are down there and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going back to Haiti. So now they're either going to have to go back out to the, you know, the field or wherever they ditched their ID card, try to find that thing, you know, or they're doing what a lot of these folks are now doing, which is hightailing it back down to Chile and Brazil. That's that's what's happening. And then, you know, you've got the, the clearing out operations as well going on. So Bensman, again, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies, he said many of the Haitians claim Mexico had turned a blind eye to their movements after months of penning them up on the southern border. Most of the migrants traveled from Tapachula province where they uh, had uh, yeah, where they had been trapped by roadblocks manned by the National Guard, the Mexican National Guard, and they have been forced to comply with onerous immigration rules that include getting their papers stamped every two days. The rules were introduced under the Trump administration, sparking riots among the Haitian and African migrants trapped there. Biden had asked Mexico to keep the measures in place. Isn't that amazing? Biden asked Mexico to keep these measures in place against the Haitians and the Africans. Why would he do that? That seems like a disparate treatment, a disparate outcome, don't you think? Seems like it to me. And again, due to my anti-racism training, I know that any disparate treatment is proof of a systemically racist mind or system. So Joe Biden, racist. Um, the DHS chief is pushing back on the claim that whips were used. 
Um, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas denied Monday that Border Patrol agents used whips to prevent Haitian migrants from crossing the Rio Grande, but it didn't stop them actually from firing all the horses. All the horses now out of work on the border. They're not going to be allowed to use horses on the border any longer, which the first when I read the headline on that story, I thought first thing was, um, did they catch the horses wearing Obama masks? Because like the last time, yeah, the last time like there was cowboy adjacent Obama mask wearing like a rodeo. Remember, some guy got fired. The first thing I thought was, wow, firing all the horses. Probably wearing Obama masks. Man, only like six days left of September. It's crazy. It is true. My dad told me a long time ago that when you get older, you start measuring time differently. Yeah, like when you're younger, a second, a minute, an hour, like these things are larger chunks of time to you. And as you get older, it's like you measure time in weeks and then months and then seasons and then years man it makes sense too if you think about it because like the amount of time that you've been on the planet you know as you get older it's like this really large chunk of time and so by comparison relatively speaking an hour is not that big of a unit of that larger period but when you're a kid you've only been around for like five ten years or whatever an hour is forever because it's such a big chunk of your your life anyway i digress I, I brought all of this up simply because September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. And so uh, next week, right, the 30th, is going to be the uh, uh, the second annual WBT Little Heroes Blood Drive. And we're going to be at the Community Matters Cafe from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. The One Blood Big Red Bus is going to be at the Community Matters Cafe with us. And, uh, well, truth be told, they're the ones that are going to be doing the blood draws, not us. Um, but you know, you're going to be there. You're going to be helping fight childhood cancers. And if you want to stop into the community matters cafe, get a bite to eat, a cup of coffee or something, then you're going to support the life changing work that the Charlotte rescue mission does there. And they've got limited edition little heroes, t-shirts, not that you donate blood and platelets for the t-shirt, but I mean, it's a little something, something for the effort, you know? $20 $20 e-gift card as well, and uh, a $10 donation goes back to the Isabella Santos Foundation. So, uh, love to see you out there September 30th. It's a Thursday, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, go to wbt.com slash events for all of the details. Um, let me shift gears now and get to the, the topic that I was going to talk about last hour, but I got distracted, as I tend to do. Um Piece by William A. Jacobson. You may know him as the creator of LegalInsurrection.com. And uh, where is he a professor? I forget. I forget. He's a, But he's a professor of some kind. And not to be confused with Instapundit, that's Glenn Reynolds. But I think William Jacobson's also a professor. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, LegalInsurrection.com. He's got a big write-up. Hillary Clinton operatives perpetrated a massive Russia collusion fraud on the American public which not only manipulated the 2016 election process, but also froze the Trump presidency and nearly paralyzed the nation politically for years. If you are uh, of the, if you are in the media or you're a Democrat, but I repeat myself, but if you're in either of those two camps, I urge you to reassess what happened and how it happened and why it happened 
surrounding the whole Russia collusion story. And if you want to understand why Trump supporters in general, or specifically, I should say, and then a lot of conservatives and Republicans, right-leaning people, are so angry at the media, why we don't care what you have to really say anymore, we don't believe you, um, we, we, we see you as, uh, as activists with bylines, this is really, this is like case study number one for you, okay? Go and read legalinsurrection.com. You can read the piece that I've got here from Andrew McCarthy, National Review. You can read thegrayzone.com, a piece by Aaron Mate. And, um, well, yeah, those three. And that should give you a starting point to understand the level of animosity and where it comes from. Rightfully so, by the way. Rightfully so. Folks on the right are justifiably angry at the media and the Democrats for what they have put America through for the last five years. And I understand you hate Trump. I get it. Like, I I understand that. But but you have to be able to set set that aside. It's one of the things I've never really understood about people who make everything about Donald Trump when they hate him so much. Like, why do you give the guy that kind of power over you? If you hate him so much, why do you let him dictate your response and your thoughts about virtually everything. Like he's sending out press releases or something because he can't tweet anymore. Right. Cause they banned him off of the platform. It's pretty easy to ignore Donald Trump right now. And if you still can't do it, you're the one with the problem, right? That's a you issue. That's not a Donald Trump issue. That's a you problem. So Hillary Clinton and her operatives, uh, they concocted a scheme. And this is the what we learned to be the Russia collusion, now we know, fraud. And by the way, just I wasn't on the air at WBT at the time all of this was going on, so I will let you know that at the very beginning, I was one who said we need to have an investigation because it is very concerning and the nature of the charges were very, very serious and... Donald Trump was not particularly adept at shutting down the charges. And he had people in his orbit that were connected to some pretty unsavory Russian types uh, and Russian connected people. So there was Paul Manafort, for example, right? There were there were connections there that were like, okay, this I don't like this at all. I don't like this. There were people, journalists that were doing supposedly serious work, that were informed supposedly by legit sources. The longer it went on, though, so I was one who was saying, we need an investigation. But the longer it went on, and the less proof and evidence that was ever produced, the more and more skeptical I became. And then I was persuaded to believe what I now believe, which is that this was, in fact, an oppo research hit job. And it was laundered through mainstream legacy corporate media outlets and the people who work for them because they wanted it to be true. They, and, and the people who used them to launder this knew that. They knew that these people working in media were their allies. They knew they hated Donald Trump and they knew they wanted to be the next Woodward and Bernstein. And so they wanted to take out the sitting president. And so they fed that. 
And initially, it was the candidate, Donald Trump, because everybody was working against him. They didn't want him elected. That's the way it looks now. And that's what the evidence uh, points to. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is Friday. It's 1.30. And that means we talk to Becky Gray. She is the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. You can read uh, her work and her quotations in carolinajournal.com. Uh, Becky, how are you? Happy Friday. Um, great, Pete. Happy Friday to you. I uh, I got I have to admit, I, I'm not seeing a lot of stuff moving through the state legislature this week either. I know last week was very, very slow. This week seemed kind of slow, too. You know, it is, and we're at that point where the final negotiations of the budget are mm-hmm. taking place. A lot of these meetings are between committee chairs. They're between between some legislative meetings, although that's been rather slow, but they're in behind closed doors. We're also seeing and hearing that there are some negotiations and conversations with the governor's office. So as they work out these details in the final budget, which is a $25.7 billion spending plan. So, you know, Pete, we're talking about a lot of money. Um, that's where we are. So it seems very quiet. It's kind of eerily quiet at the building all week. But there, what I understand is that there is a lot going on, a lot of negotiations. We're hearing that next week is also going to be slow, maybe have a vote out of the General Assembly the following week. And then, again, what we're hearing is the governor is included in these negotiations and these conversations at this point. But then, of course, when they pass the budget, it will go over to the governor's office and he will make a decision on what he's going to do. So, yeah, it's quiet, but it doesn't mean that there's not stuff going on. Yeah, well, it's like the scene from the movie where they say, oh, it's quiet. It's too quiet. Yeah, stuff's happening. (laughs) Yeah, right. And Uh, I have been down at the building and you do get that feeling um, that it's it's almost a little bit too quiet. That someone's about to get murdered by somebody with an axe or something. Or, or, or somebody's getting ready to spend a bunch of your money, <laughs> which, right. <laughs> which is really what's happening. So um, one of the things that I saw uh, moving on social media, on, uh, on Twitter, where all of a sudden, oh, there's some renewed interest in Medicaid expansion. Like, they think that this no. might actually now happen. It's on the table, so they say. Yeah, you know, again, the eerily quiet, and then you start hearing things like that, and you wish they would go back to just being completely quiet again. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the Medicaid expansion has been one of the things that the governor has actually drawn the line in the sand with previous budgets. That, you know, he is, it, it is no secret to anyone that's paying attention that the governor really wants Medicaid expansion. Will that be part of the negotiations with the General Assembly? Maybe. I'm kind of hearing the same thing. I don't know any more than, Pete, what you've mentioned on social media. Um, North Carolina has held fast in not expanding Medicaid. I think that's the right decision, particularly as we're still working to transition our Medicaid program into a new format, a new way of delivery. We want to make sure that 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 program is stable before we throw another 600,000 people onto Medicaid. Um, But we are hearing that. I hope that's not true. I don't think that's the right decision for North Carolina right now, again, to put 
600,000 additional people on Medicaid when 20% of our population is already on Medicaid. Pete, over half the babies born in North Carolina are born under Medicaid. This is a huge, massive program already. Let's make sure that that program is serving the people that need those services in the most appropriate way, in the most cost-effective way, before we start putting large populations of childless, able-bodied, working-age adults onto this entitlement program. Yeah, it's, it is a couple of things. Number one, it is sort of the backdoor uh, universal health care uh, uh, measure. That, like, that's how it's getting developed. It's obvious. And that was the intent, I think, from the beginning. But the other part is, as you just mentioned there, the population that you're talking about that's eligible for Medicaid under the expansion rules are not the population that Medicaid was originally designed to provide services for. And those folks uh, are actually worth less to the providers for the reimbursements than the new population is. So they've essentially created this perverse incentive to see the new enroll to any new enrollees first who are younger, able-bodied, can work, not sick. Like those folks are going to get uh, scheduled first. They're going to get access first because a lot of providers have just uh, they, they've slowed down or not accepting uh, seeing any Medicaid patients because the reimbursements are so low. Right. Yeah. And so you know, as you mentioned, what that does is it endangers the the population that Medicaid was designed for, and yeah. that is for poor children, poor pregnant women, um, the aged, the disabled, the people that are struggling with substance abuse. I mean, I think Medicaid was designed for a population that I think, you know, most people can agree, this is the safety net population that we have an obligation to look after, and it endangers those people. And as you said, what it, it seems to be is the end game is universal health care, which was really came out of Obamacare when right. that was put into place. Um, many states have rejected Medicaid expansion. North Carolina is one of those. Part of the problem with this is, or you know, kind of an unknown part of it, is the federal government has offered these huge incentives, huge monetary incentives for states to expand their Medicaid population. I think North Carolina has been more thoughtful and more forward-thinking in really saying, okay, you know, the feds are going to pay for this, but you know, everybody remember the feds have no money. So, you know, do we really want to expand a program based on federal funding when the federal government is broke? Um, you know, what's going to happen when that federal money dries up? Or, or better yet, is this the best long-term plan to ensure health care and to ensure that our most vulnerable populations are taken care of? Yeah. Well, it also coincided with the uh, the takeover that Republicans had at the legislative uh, level where they now got to uh, fix the problems that existed in that system for so long. It was running such massive deficits. It was blowing, you know, multi-billion dollar holes in budgets. And uh, when Democrats finally got voted out, Republicans came in and they started working on fixing it just as Obamacare was getting run. And uh, and so the GOP said, no, we're going to do our thing. We're not going to get distracted or derailed in our efforts. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, really put some measures in place for some fiscal accountability and, again, to make sure that money spent is money 
that is that meets the intended purpose of making sure that people do people who need it you know have that health care and you know the, the thing about it is if the concern is that people cannot afford health insurance because the cost of health care has gone up what we really ought to be looking at is lowering the cost of health care rather than just saying well health care costs so much we'll just have the government pay for it you know we ought to be looking at um expanding access to health care through allowing um mid-level providers nurses aides nurse practitioners those kind of folks allow them broader ability to practice within the scope of what they can do. We ought to be looking at expanding the use of telehealth and telemedicine. We ought to look at being at removing some of the barriers like with certificate of need laws. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do to lower the cost of health care and not just concede, well, the cost of health care is so expensive we have to have government pay for all of it. Let's look at lowering the cost of health care so that people can afford the kind of health insurance that they need in their families need. That's a better way to approach this problem rather than just going in and saying, well, we'll just expand Medicaid and let the federal government pay for it. Becky Gray, Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, johnlocke.org. You can read uh, their publication, Carolina Journal, at carolinajournal.com. Becky, we will cut you loose early for the day, and maybe next week uh, it'll be uh, less quiet in Raleigh. We shall see. We shall see. Yep. In the meantime, keep up with carolinajournal.com to find out what is happening next week in the General Assembly. Pete, have a great weekend. I look forward to talking to you next week. Same here. Thanks, Becky. I appreciate it. I apparently touched a nerve with producer Ryan. <laughs> Which is easy to do. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Apparently that's easy to do. Good to know. Well, I mean, we're still learning. It's a brand new relationship. It's kind of like dating, you know. We're kind of testing the waters here. So apparently, Ryan has opinions about dating in Washington D.C. And so, when a new survey just hit the just hit the the twitters, that a new report has crowned D.C. as the best city for dating. Ryan, (laughs) well, he said some stuff that is not FCC appropriate, but you disagree, let's say. That that is trash right there. That That is is, trash. That is trash. It's like the gif of or the uh, the meme on uh, on Twitter where it's like, this is bait. Like, that's that's exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. From the Thunderdome or whatever. Correct. Um, A writer named Ash Short, she says, DC is so bad for dating, I literally shipped someone in from Arizona. So... (laughs) This is, look, I don't know a lot about D.C. culture, which is an oxymoron, I believe, but I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard that you can't date in D.C. It's terrible date. It's a terrible, terrible dating scene in D.C. Correct. I went on one day. I I worked in D.C. for four years and went on one date in D.C., and I will never do it again. You couldn't pay me to date in D.C. Well, I mean, that would be quite a trek from here, obviously, (laughs) so someone would have to pay you. If just, you were going to go on a just, date in Yeah, DC. just take the train up. Just take the Amtrak train up. You do realize we're in we're in North Carolina. We don't really have trains like you guys had up there in D.C. You realize that, right? Yeah. All right. Now, there is a train. You can take it. Yes. They got, yeah. But it takes forever. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like every other form of transportation up north. <laughs> it's terrible. I looked into it like 20 years ago. 
because the I used to be able to make the drive from Rock Hill to Long Island in 11 and a half hours, which yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I, yeah, I drive think, fast. I yeah, drive fast. Yeah, I was going to say same here. I've, I've had three t- – in the in the four years I've been down here in North Carolina, I've had three tickets all in Virginia <laughs> by speeding through Virginia. Remember, yeah. remember, kids, don't speed in Virginia. Right. Virginia is awful um, for many reasons. But that's – okay. So uh, you've got – this 11-hour, 11-and-a-half-hour trip that by the time I was like, this is so stupid, it, it had now turned into like 14. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So then I went to fly, and the first trip I made, and I got snowed in, and it took like 16 hours. I said, okay, I got to drive again. <laughs> Found a different route. But even that's now gotten so bad. But v- Vicious circle we got going. Yeah, it was, it's terrible. It's now coming around to the same thing. It's like, I don't understand. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, I, I'm, I'm too far afield. The point here is that even I know... That dating in Washington, D.C. is terrible. At least I thought so. But in one of these stupid lists that they put together in order to get me to mention who did the list, apartmentlist.com, <laughs> then uh, they have come up with some sort of a ranking system that is obviously not accurate because they put D.C. at number one, and then they put Boston as number two, <laughs> which... Like that—that that can't be true at all because I thought the biggest challenge to dating in Boston was Bostonians. <laughs> like I thought that was the biggest problem. Elephant in the room, right? Like, oh my God, I'm in Boston and there are Bostonians here. Ugh! Like, who wants to date in Boston? I, don't think, I, I, don't, kid I don't... Boston. I kid. I kid. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Atlanta, number three. Now, I, 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 I have heard that about Atlanta though. A lot of dating in Atlanta. I've heard that as well. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard that there's a lot My, of dating in Atlanta? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> makes, that makes a lot of sense. No, I've heard a lot of success stories with Atlanta dating. Oh, that's true. They have the housewives, mm-hmm. and you can't be the housewives of Atlanta without, without dating. <laughs> there you go. It's, Ch- chicken, it's, and, chicken and the egg thing there. Right. It's science. And then Minneapolis. How is this possible? Minneapolis? Minneapolis. How do you even go out of your apartment for like six months out of the year? It's so cold up there. Like it's so cold. They literally built malls like higher than the snow line, right? Like that's, I don't get it. Everyone's dating in the mall of America. Maybe so. And I guess maybe it's so cold that like you have to bundle up together and get all comfy. But that's, that's, no, 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 you're skipping ahead. This is simply just go, you got to be able to secure the dates. I know, but it still moves ahead the the levels of intimacy. We need to look at, what is the criteria here? Because I got questions. Like There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions. Like, how are you judging a successful or a good, quote unquote, good dating scene? Does that just mean you get to go on lots of dates? Because at some point, a lot of dates starts to be a negative. Right. Right. You you want to have enough dates so you can find the the, the mate. The partner. Right. That's the point, right? Unless of course you're saying no, 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 this is all just for the hookups and all that, like confirmed bachelor here, never getting married. So that would seem to me to be kind of a patriarchal kind of a, of a survey. But here's the whole thing, though. Like, what about the whole thing about, like, you're supposed to date your date your spouse for the rest of their lives or whatever? Like, is that is that criteria here? Or is it just, you know, the, the newlywed or, like, the, the introductory dating phase? Okay, yeah. I don't know who you're talking to about that thing that you <laughs> just said, but it's not that. Okay. All right. Um, let me see here. East Coast reigns supreme. I'll give you the top ten here. Uh but okay, here we go. Our report is based on four key metrics. These are the key metrics they say. All right, I'm writing these down. Dating satisfaction. Okay. 
social satisfaction. Okay. Dating affordability. That one's important. <laughs> percentage of singles. So it makes sense if you have a lot more singles in a place, but now I don't know. That seems to me like you could have some communities down in Florida that would rank very highly on the percentage of singles. They would all be 65 and older, but... So based on those top four cities, I mean, all those are very uh, high populated. Yeah, like, and the villages is going to be rocking. I'm just saying. News is next. Stay tuned. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT.